Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are said let's just dive into the preaching this morning the message uh, this morning is entitled unrealistic expectations and just with a show of hands real quick how many people in this church have expectations amen Um, if you haven't raised your hand it's either because you are nervous or scared or you have no expectations so I hope uh, I hope that would change in your life so this morning before we dive in I just wanted to share this um, this interview, it's an interview that was done in 1998 between Skip Hollinsworth and Troy Aikman. If you don't know who Troy Aikman is, uh, he, was, he is a famous uh, Hall of Fame quarterback for the Cowboys, who now is uh, an analyst. And it starts like this. Aikman is an elusive hero, difficult to understand, clearly driven by something other than fame. On the night of that first Super Bowl victory, he delayed attending a party with his teammates, instead ordering room service and sitting alone in his hotel room for a couple of hours. I kept thinking back to the time when I was a teenager, how I thought all my problems in my life would be solved the minute I turned 16 and had a car. He recalls, well, here I was at the top of my professional football career, and I found myself, Troy Aikman, thinking, Now what? Now what? Why would you feel that way, I asked. And for several seconds, Aikman just stares at me. He appears dumbfounded that I would even ask such an absurd question. Well, isn't that what it's all about, he asks, to keep raising the bar for yourself? It is precisely this attitude that makes Aikman such a fierce player, but it's also his curse. After a loss, he confesses that, he, he just ordered room service by himself in his hotel room. And his family members would call or his wife would call to try to console him. He would just sit down in his room analyzing that game over and over and over. He says, I've always known that the lows have been lower than the highs have been high. After a loss, he doesn't talk to anyone. He just sits down and replays the game and says, how could have I done it better? How can I have played better? What could have I done to be better? You see, there are many people like Troy Aikman who live this kind of expectation, this life with these expectations that make their lowers lower than their highs are high. They are driven with expectations of perfection so that even when they reach this pinnacle, right, This goal that they've had, they cannot enjoy it. No matter how good they are, it's never good enough. In spite of the great success, they sit alone rehearsing what they did wrong and how they could improve. Sometimes the source of some of these unrealistic expectations can be from our parents. Sometimes they come from the culture around us. Sometimes they come from the friends or the people at work. Or sometimes they come from us. As someone said, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And so does everyone else. 
Have you ever heard someone say, I don't, need any, I don't need anyone else to place too many more expectations on my life? I place enough on my own. If you haven't heard anybody, that's me. We place so many expectations upon our lives that we are consumed. And simply put, expectations are beliefs that spring from a person's thought process when examining evidence. For example, we turn to the east early in the morning and we see the sky turn pink and we know what? The sun is rising. That is evidence, right? That is physical evidence that we know by the color of the sky that the sun is coming in the morning. And also, there's unrealistic expectations. I don't know about you, but I've been married almost 15 years, and when I want to go watch a movie, my wife is always geared to a romance movie. Unlike most guys who like action-packed movies, if there is an action-packed movie and a romance movie at the same time coming out, guess what I'm watching? Yeah. Yeah. If you've been married for a long time, you know. You give in. But then we have unrealistic expectations, right? Where we watch a romance movie and we're just caught up in that bliss of romance. And that movie doesn't really show what marriage is all about. All we see is a happy ending, right? And then it stops. See, our expectations are not always correct because of the flaws in our logic. Sometimes we get our hopes up based on a, on a false pr- uh, premise or a misreading of the evidence. Often we form expectations automatically without conscious effort. When, we, when expectations are not met, pain ensues. And we often place the blame on the something or someone who, do not, who did not live up to our expectations. Even if our expectations were unreasonable or unrealistic. Has that ever happened to you? That happens to me every single day. Seriously, I try to plan something with my family, and I envision how it's going to work out. I might leave work early. I might surprise them. But guess what? It never works. And the fact is that this happens all the time in my life, and yet when it doesn't happen, I still get upset. Because my plan, my perfect plan in my mind hasn't worked out the way that what? I envisioned it. Unrealistic expectations. And before we dive even even further... This all happens to each and every one of us, right? We, we sit down and we, we envision how our life is going to be. I'm going to do this by this time. Or I'm going to do this by that time. Or when I graduate, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to get this by 30. I'm going to get this by 40. And the fact is, is that you can continue to blow your mind with these expectations. But I can guarantee that most of them won't play out the way you think it's going to play out. That happens in our physical lives. And that happens in our spiritual lives. How many people do you know who come to church? They get saved. There's evidence that God has moved in their life, that God has changed them. Yet they they have these expectations, whether it be because of the preacher, because they haven't read the word of God, that when they encounter this trial in their life, whatever extent that trial is, they are affected they experience it, and what happens? They leave the church. 
Why does that happen? Because they had unrealistic expectations. For some reason, they thought that by being a Christian, your life would be so much better, so much easier. And the fact, that, the fact is, is that that's not realistic. God's word does not say that. Amen? Amen? Well, I think I've gotten ahead of myself, but so be it. So let's define what an unrealistic expectation is. It's defined as not able to see things as they really are. Not compatible with reality or fact. Based on what is wanted or hoped for rather than what is possible or likely. Not sensible, not appropriate, impractical. And, and before I even go on, I want to let you know that this, this preaching came out through a conversation, a very intense conversation I had with my wife about unrealistic expectations. Because how many people have dated? How many people are married? By a show of hands. Okay. How many people have dated? Okay. I think we all have dated in some capacity, and we all know that dating is... It's, it's, it's fun. Uh, usually it's fun, right? It's usually fun. And for those who are married, when we first met our spouse, there was a date, obviously. And that date consisted of, of romance, of laughing, of, of having a good time, of supposedly getting to know your partner, Right? Never fighting, never arguing. You were showing what? Your best. You were selling yourself to that person. But when you got married, and not right away, because if, you know, usually you're still keeping your best right after the, after the honeymoon. But after a couple of months, you might have said to yourself, what's happening here? And before I go on, I want to just give a disclaimer that I speak only for myself. These are only my opinions. I do not speak for any other man in this place or any other husband. Okay, wives? You see, when I got married, I thought marriage was going was to be just a little bit different. Not a lot, just a little bit different. And if you've been married for any length of time, you realize that marriage is, is made up of more than romantic dates and seamless compatibility and days free from responsibility. I quickly realized that marriage is, it's hard work. And it's often messy. Amen. You see, I entered marriage expecting perpetual bliss. And, and to be honest, nonstop, three-letter word starts with S, ends with X. And relational ease. I didn't expect marriage to faithfully and relentless, relentlessly expose my selfishness and insecurities nor did I anticipate the weaknesses and faults that I would encounter, not only in myself, but in my spouse. The bottom line is that my expectations of marriage were unrealistic. And this morning, there's going to be a, a couple of slides up, and I, I want you to look at them. And I want to ask, ask yourself, do I hold these unrealistic expectations? The first one. Life should be fair. Everyone should like me. People should agree with me because I have the best ideas. Have you ever met somebody like that? People know what I'm trying to say. 
I'm never going to fail. I can change him. I can change her. That is the, that is the number one unrealistic expectations. If you are trying to date somebody that's not a Christian. So I want to let you know. I will make a lot of money when I graduate. This happened to me. Okay? It is a lie. When you get that paper, you, listen, listen, you ain't going to make a lot of money unless you went to Yale or Harvard. But if you went to FIU like me, you will have to earn it, and it will take a while. My spouse should know how I feel. My spouse should understand me. And for those who have kids, I have three. My kids always must be in a good mood. My kids must be grateful for what I have given them. Can anybody relate? Next one. Now, if you are a mother or if you are a wife, this is the next slide. She is well organized with a perfect balance being disciplined and flexible. She is loving, patient, and understanding. She never gets sick, lonely, or discouraged. Her house is always neat. And her children always obey her on the first, on the first time, every time. And she prays without ceasing. Husbands, if you think this way, unrealistic. How about the guys? Or should I say the husbands or fathers? He rises early, reads the Bible, and prays. Every wife's hope and dream for their husband. He does devotional with his family. He constantly plans romantic outings. You can maybe add, he always brings me flowers. I don't know. He never gets discouraged, never wants to quit, and always has the right words for any circumstance. And for fun, I, I had to put this. He, he will have a six-pack and a full head of hair. Obviously, my wife did not get that. But we all can, can agree, right? Unrealistic. Unrealistic. And the fact is that the culture that we live in, the movies that we watch, they imply that this is what you're going to get. And the fact, that, the fact is that that's unrealistic. And if you think that way, and you enter into a relationship of marriage with your spouse, and you think that way, I'm telling you right now that the most of the divorces that we have in this society is because of this unrealistic expectations of our partners. See, dealing with unrealistic expectations is an issue affecting many of us, if not all of us. Sometimes these unrealistic expectations don't come so much from others, but they come from us. As I thought about how I have been affected by these unrealistic expectations of my own doing, I came up with three things that have helped me try to be at peace with myself and try to live a more relaxed and realistic life. The first thing is discover God's will for your life. How many people know you don't have to raise your hand. But how many people here this morning know truly what the will of God is in, for you, in your life? It's a hard question. 
It's a question that if you're a Christian, you've asked yourself, if not one, many times, saying, God, what is your will for my life? You see, by, by nature, I have OCD. OCD. I'm a perfectionist. I expect it not only from myself, but from my kids and from my wife in the workplace. But the fact is, is that I have this OCD, this, this complexion of perfection, and yet I myself cannot meet my own expectations. But what's awesome is that God's expectations are always realistic. God knows who you are. How does God know who you are? Why? Because he made you. He created you. He called you. And therefore, he knows what expectations are going to be upon your life. And those expectations will always be realistic. You will always be able to meet that expectations. Well, I don't know about you, but when I was young, which seems now like a long time ago, my parents always had expectations on me. You better do good in school. You better get this. Now, I understand that they always wanted the best for me, right? So they always had expectations of me. And I always felt, not always, but mostly I felt sometimes that those goals were unrealistic. And when you have unrealistic expectations of yourself and you don't meet them, what happens? You'll have a panic attack. People go to drugs. People give up on life, right? There's a consequence when we have unrealistic expectations. But if we know what God's will is for our life, we know where we're going. We know what we need to do. The amazing thing about God is that he is perfect in every way. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He lives be, beyond time and space. He never makes a mistake. He is perfect and holy, yet his expectations of me are entirely within my reach because he is governed by his perfect knowledge of me and he is ruled by perfect grace. Do any of you know somebody who, who you can never please? No matter what extreme you do to try to please that person, you can, just, you can never please them? You know somebody like that? I know a lot of people like that. Right? No matter what you do, no matter how far you go for them, they're never happy. But the great thing is that that's not our God. It's so easy to please our God. See, God created you. He knows you. And out of his knowledge of you, he has a perfect plan for you. It is therefore essential for you to discover his will for your life because when you learn what he expects of you, you don't have to try to live up to anyone else's expectations. If you are not living out God's plan for your life, you are living this morning somebody else's plan for your life. And if you're not living out somebody else's plan for your life, you're living out your own plan for your life. And I can tell you both lead to destruction. You see, I know what some people's will is for my life. I feel the pressures of the culture to conform to one set of expectations. And I feel the pressure of my family and of my friends and of my church members to meet other sets of expectations. I feel the push of my inner drive to achieve this or to accomplish that. To do better in this or to improve in that. 
But getting in touch with God's will for my life helps me focus on what actually is important and what is necessary. It helps me to shed the unrealistic expectations that come from others or myself. Micah 6.8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy. To walk humbly with God. Notice that this verse doesn't have a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's a basic command, a basic injunction to love mercy like God loves mercy. To do justice as he is just and to walk humbly in the relationship with him. The reason that the Lord's expectations are so perfect is that he knows us perfectly and he loves us completely. He knows exactly what you are and what you're not, what you're capable of. He does not expect what you cannot give. His expectations are exactly in line with the abilities and the talents he has given you. Paul was overwhelmed. The apostle Paul was overwhelmed with his weaknesses. He wanted to do so much for God, but he was a victim of his own limitations. And he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Because Paul had prayed to God to take away these, these weaknesses that he had. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Understand that we are weak individuals. No matter how much you want to think that you are powerful or that you are strong in this area or in that area, what God wants you to understand is that he wants you to be weak. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. Because when we realize that we can't do everything, right, and that we need to trust in God and that we need God to survive, that's when God does the miracles in our lives. That is when God can use you to do great and awesome things. But if you walk this life thinking that you can do everything, why do you need God? So this morning I have a couple of questions. What's your weakness? Perfection? Never being satisfied? Lazy? Always looking for the bad? Always trying to be the best? See, God does not expect too much of us. But neither does he expect too little. Psalms 37.4 says, take the light in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Awesome verse, right? If you're a Christian, I don't know about you, but this is one of my favorite verses. Take the light in the Lord and what? He will give you not some, not some, right? Not some, not one, all. All the desires of your heart. Yes, God will give me what I want. But before he gives me all the desires of my heart, there's one thing that the verse says right in the beginning. Take the light in the Lord. And sometimes when we read this verse, all we, we focus on is that like, God's going to give me the desires of my heart. But you see, there's an action that needs to take place on our, on, our, on our part. And that is that we need to delight. 
God will give you what you want, but only when you delight yourself in him. When we seek the Lord, when we truly delight in him, our desires will become aligned with what he wants. Which is what he has already planned and which is always better than what we would desire for ourselves. I don't know about you, but I, when I like to preach, I like to speak about myself. What better way to preach than to tell you what God has done in my life? And I will tell you that every plan that I have envisioned for my life, when I trust God and when I give it to God, no matter how hard it is to give it to God, God's always done greater. God's always taken me to places, to positions that I would have never imagined. Not because I'm Marlo, not because I think I'm this or I think I'm that, not because I've earned it. No, it's because of God. The first thing you need to understand and to realize that when you come to Christ is that you are who you are because of Christ. Everything that you have in this life is because Christ has given you it. He's allowed you to have it. The minute that you think that you are this almighty person and that you have earned whatever you have, I'm telling you right now, you're going to wake up with a surprise and you may lose it. Because this walk is all about trusting God. This walk is all about having realistic expectations, which is God is the one giving you what you have. You may not like it. But the truth is truth. The truth is truth. The second thing that will help you be at peace with yourself is to be thankful. To be thankful for how God has made you. A man stood before the mirror and said, who are you? And how did you get to to be the way that you are? We've all stood in front of that mirror at some point. I don't know about you, but in my room, I, my wife, not me, I didn't go by the mirror, but my wife has a, what is it, one of these big mirrors that lean against the wall, right? And sometimes I have found myself looking at myself in the mirror. Have you ever done that before? I mean, I know if you're a woman, you've done it many times, but not only women, but men. You stand in front of that mirror and, you, and, you, and you're analyzing yourself, right? Am I too round? Am I too skinny? Where has my hair gone? Right? Maybe my nose, look at my face, look at my demeanor. Right? We've done that. And why do we do that? Because we, we are realizing that we are flawed in some capacity, right? We're looking ourselves in the mirror and saying, how could I be better? The fact is is that God wants you to be thankful for the way that you are. Now, when I was younger, I was a fat boy. And even to this day, I have to run every night a lot of miles to keep where I'm at. Because I have a complexion, right? I, I mean, this is me. I have a complexion. I like to make sure that I remain slim in some capacity. And as you get older, it gets harder. But I remember when I was younger, and I look at the pictures, I was a 
I had a nice round face. I still have a round face, but it's a little bit less now. And I used to look in the mirror and say, man, look at all my friends. Look how skinny they are. And some of my friends will make fun of me, which is probably why I still have the complexion that I do now of trying to always be a little bit skinny. And the fact is, is that we are made up the way we are now because of how we were when we were younger, right? Let's be, let's be honest. The way that we were raised with either our parents or our, so, uh, our social environment or with our friends has made you to be the way you are in some capacity. If you were younger and you have friends that made fun of you because of this, I would almost guarantee that you still deal with that issue today. If you felt you were the best in elementary school and you had that confidence, I can probably guarantee that you still have that confidence today, right? We all begin this walk in life. And as we meet people, as we have friends, as our parents help us or don't help us, or how we go in school and how our teachers talk to us, it's the environment that takes us from stage to stage to stage to where we are right now, right? Maybe you feel like a misfit because you don't measure up to the expectations of other people or of yourself. Maybe, you're de- maybe you disappoint yourself when you look at yourself in that mirror. The fact is that we need to overcome our disappointment with ourselves and to, be th- and to begin being thankful for who we are. Once we become thankful, we begin to be more productive. You know, you, you want, let me repeat that. Once we become thankful, we begin, we begin to be more productive. The, the, the moment that you say to yourself, man, I'm going to be thankful for what God has given me, for how God has created me, for my situation... You become more proactive. You become, you produce more. Why? Because you're not thinking anymore on those other things. You focus is on something else. If you're going to resent the fact that there are people who are smarter than you, wealthier than you, better looking than you are, a better athlete than you are, have a better personality than you have, speak better than you, you will never learn to be grateful for who you are. You must learn to be grateful for being the person God has created you to be. If you're always looking at others, you will never be able to see the blessing God has given you and the blessing that's right in front of you. When you live life in love with God and learn to be thankful for what God has given you in your life, you will enjoy life in a whole new way. I can testify of that. The minute that I say to that mirror, listen, I'm good. I'm good the way I am. I leave that moment, I leave that mirror knowing that God is with me, that God has created me the way that I am. And my understanding of myself changes, and I move on. But there's so many of us that dwell in that moment, and even though we leave that mirror, we keep on walking this life like if we're still looking at ourselves in the mirror, still looking at our indifferences or our, our, our weaknesses. And this morning, God wants to tell you, listen, that's unrealistic. When you watch TV and you see all these guys the way they are and all these women the way they are, it's unrealistic. They're less than 1% of this population. 
the majority of people look like us. The majority of the people have the same flaws as you and I. But the difference is this morning, if you are a Christian, that is the difference. The difference is, is that no matter how weak you may look or feel or what imperfection you may see in yourself, the perfection is in you. That perfection is Jesus. Listen, I'm letting you know right now, God is the perfectionist. You don't got to do plastic surgery. If you want to, you want to, whatever. You don't have to get a better paying job unless you need your finances. What I'm trying to tell you this morning, what I'm trying to communicate this morning to you is that God is the one that perfects us. Not man, not culture, not friends, not environment. It's God. But God wants you to be thankful for how he has created you. God wants you to be thankful in the situation that you're in. God wants you to be thankful for who he is in your life. That's it. Once you become thankful in all those areas, I will tell you that your vision in life, the way you see things, it will change. It will change. You must understand this morning that you are unique. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the same person that's on TV. I want to be different. I want to be Marlo, the bald guy who maybe has a lot of facial hair, who maybe can't speak as, as good as a person next to me. But I want to be me. I want to I be able to stand out from the crowd. I want to be unique. And this morning, understand that God has made you unique. God has made you in his image. And that he has a perfect plan for your life. 1 John 3, 18 through 20 says, My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way you'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there is something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. The third thing, be yourself. I think this is one of the hardest things. Be yourself. I'm still learning to be who I am. I'm still understanding who I am. Not what other people want me to be. This, this society that we live in, this culture that we live in, when you turn the TV on, it's, it's, it's blasting who they want you to be. What you should wear. How you, you should smell like. What phone you should have. And for the purpose of time, I want to just briefly go over the story of David and Goliath, which is found in 1 Samuel 17. And it says here, David is busy being himself, right? At this time, he's between the age of 13 and 16. We're not sure exactly how old he was, but between the ages of 13 and 16. 
He had heard the threats of this giant named Goliath, and he scorned his threats. He had stood up to worse, for as being a young shepherd, he had faced both lions and bears who had come to kill his sheep. He spent hours slinging rocks and improving his aim. He knew he could take this bully, no matter how big he was. The Bible says that Goliath was roughly over nine feet tall. His brothers put him down. The king told him he could not do it, but David knew he could. When David insisted on going against the giant, King Saul took his personal armor and put it on him. But it was large and heavy. It did not fit his body or his personality. David had a completely unconventional way of fighting. He put down, he put down all the sophisticated military equipment of the king and this small young man picked up five smooth rocks. The giant scoffed at David and cursed him. Even the men in Israel's army had to laugh as they saw this small young man walk out to meet the giant with no armor and no formal weapons. But David was himself. If he had tried to meet the expectations of his king or of the, or of the other military men, he would, have known, he would have lost the battle. David was determined to be himself, not what somebody else expected him to be. He went knowing he looked foolish to other people, but he went knowing who he was and trusting in the abilities that God had given him and knowing that God was with him. He didn't try to be somebody else. He was only interested in being who God had called him to be. I don't know about you, but when I read this story over and over again, I didn't see that until I was getting ready for this preaching. We just see David coming and throwing the stones and hitting Goliath and killing Goliath. But when we stop and think about it, David was, was himself. He knew that God was with him. And he knew all he needed was a sling and one rock. All he had to do was put that stone in the sling, flip it around, and let it go, and God would do the rest. Understand this morning, that's all you got to do. You got to wake up in the morning and say, God, take control. Here I am. And just walk and do your thing. Do, do what you do, whether it be school, whether it be work, whatever it is. Wake up being yourself and saying, God, you've given me another day of life. Take control of my life. Here we go. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is for your life. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, conform to God's will for your life, not, somebody else, not someone else's. You know, sometimes I'm faced with situations and I found myself going to my friends before I go to God. And every time I've gone to my friends, the advice that they have given me, right, the, the will that they, they project on me always goes against, for the most part, of what God tells me what to do. 
Let me say it again. Every time I go to my friends for counsel, it always contradicts when I go to see God and when I go to God's word and I test it, it's always different from what my friends are telling me what's happening or what to do. Why? Because God's will is not my friend's will. God's will is not my spouse's will or my kid's will. God has a purpose for my life. And if we are not seeking God's will specifically for your life, you're going to be listening to other people's will for your life. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you haven't learned that already, God's will is always better. God's will is always perfect. God's will always works out better than any other person's will. The message translation states it, Romans 12, to it like this. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. This thing of being a Christian is not a matter of performance for God. It is a relationship with God. Relationships are not built on performance. If my marriage was built on performance, I most likely would not be married. It's about a relationship. It's about sitting down and talking. No matter how nasty it may get, it's sitting down. It's that relationship. It's that one-on-one saying, what do you have for me? What's your problem? This is my problem. What do we do about it? Show me what to do. It's not on my performance of how many times I sat down with my wife to eat dinner. Or did I bring enough money to the, to the bank account to, to, to do this or to do that? No, that's not what marriage is. That, uh, uh, marriage is not about that. And neither is our Christian walk with the Lord. It's all about a relationship with each other. When you enter a relationship with God, you discover that God loves you, even if you mess up. Understand that this morning, no matter how much you mess up, run to God. Run to God. He loves you. Maybe this morning you don't have kids, but if you do have kids, you, this, this speaks to you. My kids mess up all the time. And when they come to me and they say, listen, Dad, I did this or that, there is nothing that comes to me quicker than forgiveness. There is nothing quicker that comes to me than love. How much more than our creator? Come to God. Say, God, listen, here I am. Here I am. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He made you the way you are, and he likes you that way. He enjoys you. He does not accept you after you become good enough. He loves you just the way you are. 
These are easy things, simple, simple words. But it's so hard for us to accept. Listen, God takes you the way you are. No matter if you think you're ugly, no matter if you think you're fat or skinny, no matter what your weaknesses may be, God loves you. God desires to know you and for you to know him. But all we got to do is say, God, here I am. God, here I am. Isaiah 43, 1, as I finish closing here. Do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my eyes because you are honored and I love you. Beautiful words. Beautiful words. And, and these words are words that people outside of these walls are, are, are desperately seeking. And we have a God that says it in his word who's telling you every morning, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Let me tell you something. You should be changed from this. For your God holds you in his hand and says, you are mine. Listen, maybe this morning you're coming, you're visiting, you say, I don't know who this God is. Listen, that's who God is. God is the creator of heaven and earth. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's seated at the right hand of the father. Yes, that blows my mind because I really truly cannot comprehend his greatness. But if I trust in this God, in this Messiah called Jesus, he's telling me that I am his. That he has redeemed me. That I am precious in his eyes. And that he loves me. Listen, I've been married for 15 years. And my wife fails me all the time. Just like I fail her every time. But I can tell you with 100% guarantee, because I've lived it and I know it, my God's never let me down. God, my God has never failed me. Well, how do you know this, Pastor? How do you know this? Well, listen, because every situation that I have encountered, God's been faithful. God has answered. God has healed. God has opened doors. My God's real. My God is real. And the fact is that many of us, as Christians, sometimes have unrealistic expectations of who our God is. And those unrealistic expectations are sometimes like this. I'm a Christian. I will never go through any trial. False. Not true. Anytime I pray for a miracle, I'm going to get it. Unrealistic. I will never be tempted. I will always be happy. Unrealistic expectations, church of who our God is and what, what our God has promised us. The truth is, is God never promised these expectations. As we learn his will and learn to be thankful, we, we, we will realize God has promised these realistic expectations. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Peace 
in the midst of the storm. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. Isaiah 41.10. Strength in the midst of trial. God is faithful. He will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Faith that God is in control. Amen. Let's stand this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I just want to give you a few moments to analyze your life and ask yourself, what are these unrealistic expectations that I've been holding on to in my life? What are these weaknesses that I see in myself that have hindered myself from reaching the potential that God has for me. Listen, God has a perfect will for your life. Understand it. Accept it. If you don't know what it is, I challenge you to read his word, to seek his face. There's one thing that is clear is that God wants to know who he wants you to be. Be thankful for who you are. Be thankful for what God has given you. There's a difference from wanting more than being thankful. We can be thankful for what we have at this very moment and still expect much more. But we must be thankful. We must be thankful. And be yourself, church. Be yourself. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Don't try to be somebody that somebody else wants you to be. Be yourself. God wants to use you the way you are. This morning, understand that God loves you. And I know with a shadow of my doubt, whether you're new or you've been here forever, God wants to use you in a great and mighty way. God has a perfect plan for your life. You may not see it, but you believe it. Believe it. Let me tell you something. My wife has experienced heartache and trial beyond anybody I know. Lost a brother of brain cancer at the age of 29. Another brother who's dealing with homosexuality. Another brother who has an alcohol addiction. Two of the brothers who are young have had divorces. Another one in the midst of divorce. She gets beat down, yes. She has her moments with God and says, God, what is happening? But I can tell you, what God is doing in her life is something that nobody else can do. No matter what she may experience in her life, in her family's life, 
she gives thanks to the Lord knowing that she has been called. She thanks God for the woman that she is, though she wants much more for herself. And that she knows that God has made promises upon her life and that she is holding God to those promises. This life is full of unrealistic expectations, church. But hold on to those realistic expectations. God loves you. God created you. You are unique in his eyes. No matter what you're going through, surrender your life to him. Say, God, here I am. And I, will, I promise you, because his word is faithful, he will do it in your life. Amen. Father God, I thank you, Jesus, for this morning. I thank you, Father God, because you are a faithful God. I pray, Father God, for the individual that is here this morning, Father God, that has had a hard time understanding this message. The individual who has all these unrealistic expectations that just don't come true. The individual who may be upset at life or at you, Father God, because these things just don't, aren't working out. I pray, Father God, that this morning, Lord, that you would change their life. That you would change them from the inside out. That you would reveal to them, Father God, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. That you created them, that they are unique, that they have been called by name, Father God, for a great and mighty purpose. I pray, Father God, that they would render their lives to you, Lord Jesus. That they would hold you accountable. That they would say, Father God, to you this morning, here you have my life. Show me. Show me what you can do. Because I know, Father God, that you can do great and mighty things. I pray for the Father God, for the individual who doesn't feel loved this morning. Lord, you are a God of love. Remind them, Father God, of the action of love that you did on that cross. How you were whipped, placed on a cross, stabbed on the side. That you died for us, Father God. And on the third day, Lord, you rose. And you said, I love you. Allow us to accept that, Father God. Allow us to understand, Father God, that no matter how dirty we may feel, no matter how bad we may think we are, Father God, you love us. You want us. You pursue us, Father God. Once again, Father, I thank you for this time. I pray, Father God, that you would be with us as we leave this place. Bless our comings and our goings. I pray, Father God, for new life. I pray for Pastor Rico that you bring him back home safely, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father God, for what you're doing in this church. I pray, Father God, that you continue to move in power and in liberty amongst your people in this sanctuary, Father God. Lord, that you would put a boldness and a passion, Father God, in your people. Lord God, to preach and to save the lost. Father God, we thank you again. And your people this morning say amen and amen. God bless you.